Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. Joined, it's football season, so join now and uh, pretty much throughout the rest of the fall, joined by Dave Simone and a very special guest joining us as we get ready for kickoff in eight days of Cincinnati Bearcat football. Almost eight days to the, the minute as we're recording this podcast. We are joined by the voice of the Bearcats, the one and only Dan Horde. Dan, welcome in. Chad and Dave, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So before we get into what uh, we've seen at, at camp over these past couple weeks, I want to uh, have a little bit of fun here at first. I, I want to know, Dan, the, uh, the most memorable moment of your broadcasting career is A, being on The Simpsons, or B, <laughs> being next to Chuck Mayshock getting kicked out of an NCAA tournament game. You know what? I've got to go with C. C. You didn't mention C, and that was Tony Pike to Armand. I was going to get to Tony Pike. I'm going for the highs of the, the highest of the highs, not the lowest of the lows. I was absolutely But if I had to choose to between that. one and two, I would choose two. Being next to Chuck when he got the heave from Salt Lake City. That had to have been the most surreal thing that, like, when you when you get into broadcasting, that is not exactly what you expect to be a part of your early career. <laughs> Well, since I'm the only play-by-play announcer who has ever had his uh, partner kicked out of an NCAA <laughs> tournament game, it is definitely not something that you can prepare for. Uh, it kind of all went down in slow motion, and uh, I desperately tried to pull Chuck back into his chair, but he shooed me off like a Kentucky Derby jockey, and the rest is history. That, that, <laughs> working with Chuck and also with Jim Kelly has to be just an absolute treat. You know, it is, not only because they're both great at what they do, but they're just such good guys. I mean, you've met them both. Absolutely. You know them both well. Both. And you find two people that are just better guys than Jim Kelly Jr. and Chuck Mayshock. Maybe throw Dave Lapham in there, so I'm three for three. Uh, but they're, you know, they're just fun to be around. They've got great passion for the University of Cincinnati, and I think that uh, bleeds into the broadcast. I certainly hope it does. It, it absolutely does, and, and you've become a favorite of, of Bearcat fans, and I know – they will be very excited to hear you on this podcast. Let's talk Pike to Benz. Um, was that just a surreal three hours in the broadcast booth, seeing them get down the way that they did, and then the comeback, and then hang on Sloopy? I still can't, I can't hear hang on Sloopy without <laughs> going back to the end of the third, beginning of the fourth quarter, and then the end of the game going, yeah, how, how you like me now? <laughs> Well, everything about the day was memorable, from the snowy conditions to the incredibly large number of Bearcat fans that made that trip over to Pittsburgh that day. We had never seen Cincinnati travel like that for a regular season game, so you knew that the program had really captured the imagination of Cincinnati fans in general. And then there was so much at stake. If they win the game, there's still an outside chance that they play for the national championship. At worst, they're going to the Sugar Bowl. If they lost that game, they were going to the Meineke Car Care Bowl. So uh, the stakes were incredibly high. And then to fall behind right off the bat by 21 points, they looked like they had no chance. They could not stop Deion Lewis. And then Dave Wonstadt, being Dave Wonstadt, elected to kick off to Marty Gilliard with less than two minutes to go in the half. He took it the distance for the touchdown that really kept the Bearcat heartbeat going. And in the second half, they did exactly what they needed to do. They got a little bit of help when Pittsburgh botched that uh, the hold on the PAT with about three minutes to go. But uh, I doubt that I'll ever I'll ever broadcast a game with so much at stake that's that memorable. So I hope I do. I would love to top it, but realistically, I don't think that's ever going to happen. And the anatomy of a play-by-play guy is the as the ball is in the air, does your mind just go blank and whatever comes out comes out? No, not so much. Um, sometimes when you listen back to a call, you kind of wonder <laughs> if that happened, you know, when you're just screaming and going crazy. But while the play is happening, you're in the same mindset that you are when it's a four-yard gain in the second quarter. You're just trying to describe it as accurately and in as much detail as you possibly can. And then after the fact, you, you just kind of hope it turned out well. Dave, you got anything? Ah, uh, just remembering back to that one, we had a huge party at our house for that game, and the first half didn't go well, so 
I went and watched the entire second half by myself in my bedroom and only ran downstairs to refresh <laughs> my uh, soda. And so you are watching the game alone in your bedroom, guy. Well, for this, I'm very superstitious when it comes yeah, to like gotcha. how I view games. I wear the exact same thing to every UC basketball, football, and singles game that I go to. Uh, yeah. I don't know why. It's just very superstitious. So this, the first half, I was enjoying the party, and you know, but I was like, this isn't going well. So the second half, I watched the whole second half by myself, and was like, I'm not going to go downstairs now that they're coming back. So. Well, Dave, uh, I would mock you for that, uh, but I can't because I grew up a little bit south of Buffalo, and I was a huge Buffalo Bills fan when I was a kid. And when they went to the first of their four straight Super Bowls, I did the exact same thing. I didn't want to be around other people. I didn't want to be near anybody that was going to be talking over the TV during the course of the game. I made sure I was alone in a room with the TV so that I could, uh, you know, I was thinking savor every second of it, and uh, up until Scott Norwood's kick went wide right, I did. Yep, my dad uh, grew up in Rochester, so I'm very familiar with the Bills and their four Super Bowl defeats. Dan, you don't come off as a Bills, uh, a Bills Mafia guy. Those, those people seem a little bit more um, unglued than you. <laughs> <laughs> I may have 15 years ago or so, but uh, as I've gotten older and as my allegiances have changed, it's kind of strange because, honestly, I always thought that if you were a true sports fan, a real diehard fanatic, then your favorite teams were wired into your DNA and could never possibly change. But they've changed for me, uh, partly because I work for teams, so I, I have a you know, financial stake in it. But uh, it's, it's really not even that. It's just being around them every day, being around the fan base every day. Uh, you become emotionally attached to it, and I definitely have. I'm much more of a Bengals and Bearcats fan than I am of a Buffalo Bills or even my alma mater, Syracuse University fan. Speaking of Syracuse, this has always fascinated me, and I probably not many others out there, but because I grew up in the, in the broadcasting business and you know wanted to get into it since I was a kid, what was that time like at Syracuse? You and Tarico and... Shulman and and some of the biggest names in the in the business did, was it could you sense that like we're all you know destined for really good things or Tariko you probably knew <laughs> but, yeah Tariko you did know now Mike was younger than I was right. I was a senior when he was a freshman you were his but mentor right me and and the other well me and the other guys that were in my class immediately said to each other that Tariko kid is going places so you could tell with him. But uh, when I was there, it was interesting for me because I came from a very small town and I had volunteered at the local radio station when I was in high school and I joined the high school debate club so I could get practice as a public speaker. And I basically did anything I could possibly think of in order to try to advance myself in this profession. Then I get to Syracuse and I'm surrounded by kids that are so much better than I am, at least at that time. Uh, Sean McDonough and Greg Popper were two guys that were one year ahead of me at Syracuse, and they were both as good then as they are now. And I know most of the people listening to this are familiar with Sean since he's doing Monday Night Football, and he was really my biggest mentor. Uh, but Greg Papa has been the voice of the Oakland Raiders forever. At one time, simultaneously, he was the voice of the Oakland Raiders, the San Francisco Giants, and the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, which is an interesting, an interesting calendar, to say the least. <laughs> so, I mean, those guys were so good when I arrived in college. It was very intimidating, quite honestly. But uh, when you're around those guys and you're competing for spots on the student radio station, and then there are a dozen other guys that were just like me, it's the best possible training for getting, to, for getting into this business. And that, more than anything else, is why Syracuse cranks out so many broadcasters. It's, it's not even that the school necessarily is so great, although I think it's very good, but because of the legacy and because of all the announcers that have gone there and are doing well in the business, the most passionate high school students in the country wind up going there every year. And it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you are battling with these other guys just for the opportunity to do a game on student radio. 
but you can't help but get better. So basically you got your butt kicked uh, professionally quite a bit as you're young, and then you figure it out as you get older. That's exactly right. A lot of the mistakes that most people make when they first get started in the business, maybe in a, a small market or a, a tiny radio or TV station, you get to make some of those mistakes when you are in college at Syracuse. Right. So that's really advantageous when you get out and you're trying to do it for a living. One more thing before we get to uh, this Bearcats football season, Cincinnati. When did you realize this is where we're going to set up shop? I mean, I know there was a lot of back and forth and um, the, 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 the Paw Sox doing the, the AAA affiliate for the Red Sox and, and the family kind of bouncing back and forth. What was the, the realization? Was it getting the Bengals job or, or something else maybe that, that was this is Cincinnati's going to be home? Well, here's the history. So my then-girlfriend, now wife, Peg Rascone, was, uh, got, was the first of us to get to Cincinnati. She got a job at Channel 12 as a news reporter. So I was working in Syracuse at the time as a TV anchor on the local CBS affiliate. And since Peg was here, I started looking for jobs in Cincinnati. So I got a job at Fox 19. Uh, we were here together for a while, and everything was great. And then she got the opportunity to work in Boston, which is where her family is from and has always been a dream of hers. So more or less, I said, shoot, if it was me, I would go. You got to go. So she took that job, and then we were in separate cities for a while, but we continued to date. And then we got married, even though we were in separate cities. As we used to say, it only needs to make sense to two people, and it was working out okay for us. But as we neared our 40th birthdays with no children, uh, we had a conversation basically saying if we ever want to have any, the clock is ticking. So we decided to, to try to have uh, a child, and fortunately that happened pretty quickly. But then there was a new issue. You can do a two-city marriage, but you can't raise a child in separate cities. So at that point, we discussed whether she would move back here or I would move to Boston. And it just turned out that I was the first of the two of us really to get a good opportunity. And that was my chance to work for the Pawtucket Red Sox. So I moved to Boston. We were together there when our son was born. And, and I worked there for five years. But then when the Bengals, kind of out of the blue, offered me the opportunity to be their full-time radio announcer, we moved back here. And we've been here for six years. And, and it's working out great. And you did the Bearcats all the while living in Boston is what I think some people don't realize for how many years? Yeah, that was for five years. And uh, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that they were willing to do it. When I went for, when I left for Pawtucket, I told UC that if possible, I would love to continue to do their games because I would be able to just in terms of the calendar, the baseball season at AAA ends basically Labor Day weekend. So it wouldn't be a conflict in terms of my schedule, but I was going to be living in Boston. I wouldn't have the money to pay for my own travel back and forth. So if they wanted me to do that, they were going to have to find a way to pay for it. So initially, it didn't look like that was going to work out. Uh, but Mike Waddell, who was working in the athletic department at the time for UC, uh, thankfully wanted me to continue being the announcer and then managed to find a way to pay for it. So I I'd never had a home game for a five-year stretch, uh, but that, you know, if that didn't happen, obviously I wouldn't be doing UC games anymore, which, uh, which I would hate because I have a tremendous affection for the program. But secondly, I would have been out of sight, out of mind in the Cincinnati market, and I doubt the Bengals would have ever thought to hire me. So uh, I owe a lot of people uh, at UC a tremendous debt of gratitude because their decision to allow me to continue to do that was really a key to my career. And I think many in town would say it was a very, very wise decision. Well, I hope so. Um, like I said, I have a tremendous attachment to the program. It has become, it, it really feels like my alma mater, even though I didn't go there. So I hope to remain the voice of the Bearcats for a long, long time. For many UC fans, you are the voice of uh, a lot of great moments in Bearcat history and uh, Pike to Ben's being uh, amongst many of the, the great ones. So um, we all appreciate that. We, we love having you around. And let's get down to business. 2017 Cincinnati Bearcat football. You've, uh, you've had the chance to be around Luke Fickle for eight and a half, almost nine months now. Um, overall impression of, of him running the program, running his first program. And uh, I think it's been interesting over the past week or so, Dan. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but 
His intent, he's getting into uh, in-season mode, Luke Fickle, which is uh, not as laid back and relaxed as off-season Luke Fickle, as you would expect. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. Game face Luke Fickle has come out in recent days. So you can tell they're getting close to the season opener. I've been tremendously impressed with him so far. To me, he is Mark D'Antonio with more personality. And that's saying a lot because I have a tremendous amount of respect for Mark D'Antonio as a person and as a coach. And of all the Bearcat coaches in football that I've been around, and I go back to Rick Minter, so Coach Minter, Coach D'Antonio, Brian Kelly, Butch Jones, Tommy Tuberville, Mark D'Antonio is the one he reminds me of the most. Now, not necessarily in their style of play, but just the way they, they conduct their business, the way they lead, the way the players respond to them. And if that's the way it plays out long term, I think UC is in really good hands. Dave, you got anything? Yeah, I would just, in a general sense, in the, you know, I guess it's since December, so whatever that is now, eight months or so, is there anything about the program as a whole that has surprised you or take, you know, uh, taken you by notice just from what you've seen in other years and, and how things have progressed from December until now? Well, the thing that stands out the most, I don't know if it's a huge surprise, but it's the energy level. I mean, every aspect of the program just has juice. That's the term they like to use, and I can see why. When you go to a practice, the noise, the energy, even the music playing in the background, but there's a, there's a new sense of excitement and desire that just had been missing the last few years. I was very fond personally of Tommy Tuberville. But let's face it, it wasn't working. And unfortunately, it was going downhill rapidly. So I guess if I'm surprised by anything, it's how quickly Coach Fickle and his staff have been able to get that energy back. And I'm really excited to see how this season is going to go. I I thought and when they came in, yeah, they'll be better right off the bat because they couldn't be much worse. But I really think this team has a chance to have a very good season and I could see them being in contention to win championships in this league as soon as next year. The one thing that I, I, I've tried to express to people, Dan, and, and I don't think you can really um, grasp it until you see it, have you ever seen a, a team work on special teams more than Luke Fickle has this bunch working on every single minor detail of special teams throughout a practice? I don't know if I've if I've never seen that before. I'm trying to think back to days at Syracuse or other programs that I've covered when I was a TV guy. Um, but it certainly has not been the case here for a while. And you know, if you're looking for a way to get better quickly, special teams is a good place to start because they gained nothing in special teams, in any special teams area in recent years. They weren't better at returns than the opponent. They weren't better at covering kicks than the opponent. Uh, Field goals had been good when Andrew Gantz was healthy, uh, but last year they struggled in that department, particularly early in the year. So I really think there's going to be a dramatic difference in all of those kicks this year, and that's probably going to be the most noticeable change right off the bat when, when Cincinnati fans get their first exposure to a Luke Pickle coach team. Defensively, obviously, uh, a lot more aggressive. There, there was a lot of uh, containment and, and kind of a passive defensive style uh, previously. Uh, you're not going to see that under a Luke Pickle, Mar- Mar- Marcus Freeman defense, are you? And let's throw in the defensive line coach, Al Washington, too. Al, uh, last yeah, year, Boston College, yep. Last year at BC, they were second in the nation in sacks, uh, in the top ten in the country for tackles for loss. So between those three guys, uh, Luke Fickle, Marcus Freeman, and Al Washington, it's all about trying to get upfield and disrupt things. And that plays well with this particular team because I think defensive line is the biggest strength position-wise on the roster. They've got good players. Uh, They've got one potentially great player right off the bat in Cortez Broughton. They've got depth. So I really think that that's an area where they can affect the game in a positive way. Offensively, I think there's still some questions that that need to be answered by and and are only going to be answered by what happens in games. Um, But you have to be at least uh, feeling good about what we've seen from the running back position so far in camp, and especially 
you you expect Mike Boone to be really good, uh, but Jared Dokes and Mike Warren and even at times Taylor Boos and Jalen Green have have flashed as well, and that looks to be Gino Gadulli has a, a a group of a position of strength right now. Yeah, it's been nice to be reminded of how good Mike Boone can be when he's healthy because he looks like a beast right now. His physique is incredible. Uh, his excitement for the uh, upcoming season is palpable. So I really think they're going to rely heavily on him early in the year. But the other names you mentioned are, are impressive too. I think uh, Michael Warren in particular, as training camp has gone on and we've gotten closer to the season opening game, every practice he seems to have some sort of wow-type play. So uh, I, I didn't know if he would play a significant role right off the bat when camp opened, but it's become increasingly apparent that uh, he's going to get the ball in his hands as a true freshman. Coach Fickle won't tell us. Will Dan Hoard tell us who's going to be the starting quarterback? <laughs> well, all signs certainly point to Hayden Moore just because of Ross Trail's injury situation. Yeah. I think after the first scrimmage at the Nippert Stadium, they were – legitimately neck and neck and it was a coin flip at that point because Hayden probably had a slight edge going into the scrimmage and then trail out played him that night at Nippert Stadium uh, but since Ross has been hampered over the last week or so and really has not been able to do much in practice now that you're a week from game day you'd almost have to hand it to Hayden more at this point so I guess we'll get an official announcement of that sometime in the next few days but it certainly looks to me like that has to be the case at least in week one. I certainly agree with that. And I, I, the one last thing that the offensive line, I, I think has been pretty solid in terms of the first team offensive line from, from what I've seen throughout camp. You, uh, you're, you've become a bit of an offensive line guru because of your time spent with Dave Lapham. Uh, he has, <laughs> he has, well, but, but seriously speaking, he has taught you what to look for, what to, the ins and outs of what to watch, you know, when you're watching offensive line play. What do, what do you think of how the offensive line has looked so far, uh, especially the first team? Because we know depth is a concern in that group. Yeah. Well, they've looked pretty good. And it's interesting because when I go to Bengals practices this year and go to Bearcat practices, I find myself watching the offensive lines probably more than ever before just because for both teams that's a big question mark going into the season. And I think when you watch the Bearcats practice, maybe the biggest thing that stands out about the starting offensive line is that nobody stands out in a bad way. I mean, you're not watching somebody going, he gads. Uh, he consistently is having trouble with a pass rush, or he's not getting a hand on anybody when he pulls and tries to run block. Those guys seem to have pretty good continuity. I don't think there is a weak link. I think they're all pretty solid. Uh, I think we're still kind of determining – which of them is going to be the standout, if any of them. But uh, I think we're both uh, capable of saying at this point that based on what we've seen, that unit's going to be pretty good. Uh, I agree. And we had this conversation today about Kendall Calhoun, uh, who's, you know, when there was word that Ryan Stout was no longer with the program, there was a lot of concern about right tackle. And nobody was really sure how it was going to go. They inserted Kendall Calhoun and threw – 24 practices or whatever it's been since the start of spring. I don't know that I've thought one time, man, Kendall Calhoun's really having a rough day. Totally agree. He looks the part. He's six, seven, he's 300 pounds. He's got long arms. So you love having a guy that looks like that playing tackle. But honestly, uh, when Kyle Trout transferred from Ohio state to Cincinnati, in my own mind, I penciled him in at right tackle. Yeah. I just thought, well, this guy, was an Ohio State recruit. He's played in the Big Ten. Uh, he wants more playing time, and, and that's just the way it's going to play out. And he has not been able to crack the starting lineup yet. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing about Kyle Trout. I'm sure he'll get playing time this year. But I think that does show that the starting five that they've kept out there has been solid, and it hasn't been easy to uh, knock any of those guys off their perch. No, I agree completely. I thought almost with certainty when, when Stout left – you just Trout was going to be the one, and I, I think they gave Calhoun an opportunity because he's been in the program and because he's a senior. And they said, let's see what we've got here. And, and the young man has performed really well, as has Will Sturr and, and the combination of Campbell and Niehaus at center, uh, Keith Miner at, at left guard, and then Corey Cunningham at left tackle outside of uh, one unfortunate uh, pass rush drill at the opening. 
uh, at the beginning of training camp where Brian Wright got the best of him. But uh, other than that, I mean, you're right. We haven't – there hasn't been a lot of looking around and going, man, these guys are, are getting killed and, and by a good defensive line. So uh, I think there's a little bit of hope there. And, and what we have seen, Dan, is we've seen some pretty big openings in the running game at times and in the screen game at times to give Mike Boone and, and Mike Warren – and Jared Doak, some some opportunities to bust out big plays. So I feel a lot more positive about that position than I did, say, three weeks ago. I would agree with that. And the other thing I would say, too, is while depth is a question mark, if they were to have significant injuries, you'd naturally be worried about the offensive line. But I do think they have at least two backups that have looked pretty good as well. I think Garrett Campbell has been fine at center. Uh, when he's been rotating in there with Niehaus. And I think with Kyle Trout coming up from Ohio State, you know you've got a guy there that can play. So that's seven guys that you feel pretty good about. And going into training camp, I really didn't expect that to be the case. We thought there was Corey Cunningham, and we weren't sure after that. So that that has been a good thing. Dan, it's uh, it's great to have you on. Things kick off in eight days. You get uh, Austin P at home. Then you get three road games that I'm sure is always fun to incorporate in with a uh, busy Bengals schedule as well. Well, unfortunately, I will miss the opener against Austin P yeah. because that's the same night as the Bengals' final preseason game, and my contract kind of stipulates that a Bengals game trumps anything else, even if it's a preseason game. So my plans for that game, obviously I'll be keeping an eye on my iPad uh, during the course of the Bengals game and during the commercials to find out how the Bearcats are doing, but... I will also uh, record the audio so I can listen to it on my drive home uh, from Indianapolis. So I look forward to uh, Tommy G and and Jim Kelly Jr. calling that game. But those three uh, road games that follow, that's the key to the season. Michigan is obviously going to be a very tough game to win, and and nobody expects the Bearcats to win it. But then Miami, they're probably thinking that this is the first time in a long time they've got a legitimate chance to knock off Cincinnati. They've made that their homecoming game. So uh, it's always a big rivalry, but Miami's going to really be up for it this year. And then a tough road game at Navy. So that is a killer stretch. That's the toughest three-game stretch on the schedule, and we'll see how the Bearcats look after four weeks. And if you want to talk about difficult, try looking at Dan's schedule once we get to uh, early November. That's not fun, is it? <laughs> it is fun. fun. That's the thing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it can be some crazy travel and lack of sleep. But uh, my, my father and my stepfather worked for a living, so I know what real jobs are like and the types yeah. of things that people do to put uh, food on the table for their families. So the fact that I uh, have to get up early in the morning to, to drive somewhere or catch a plane or whatever to get from one sporting event to the, to the next, you will never hear me complain about that. There are definitely worse things, and I guess the big question is, do you get to go to the Cayman Islands? I do think I'll be able to go to the Cayman Islands. Nice. That kind of depended on when Cincinnati's first game would be that Monday before Thanksgiving, and they play the latest game, so that helps me. The Bengals are in Denver that Sunday, so right now it looks like I will catch a red eye to Miami, fly from Miami to the Cayman Islands. I'll get there at noon, and the first game isn't until 7, so I may sound a little sleepy, but I plan to be there. You'll be by the pool by one thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe on day two. I suspect I will be crashing at 1.30 in hopes of uh, being alive by 7 p.m. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, thanks a lot. I will uh, most assuredly see you at practice very soon. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, we really appreciate all the work that you do for the Bearcats as the voice of Cincinnati Athletics. Chad, right back at you. Uh, you guys do an unbelievably great job of covering UC sports. I know your subscribers feel the same way, and uh, it's a great resource for all of us. So uh, thank you for showing up every day at practice all year long, and uh, keep up the good work. I I think I'm insane for doing it, but for some reason I do it. (laughs) And we appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Dan. Talk to you soon. That is the voice of the Bearcats, Dan Horde, and uh, always great to hear from Dan and I think some uh, some interesting in- insights there, Dave. Uh, the stuff about the offensive line is, is you know, something I've been thinking throughout camp is I, I just haven't walked out of practice thinking this guy got his ass kicked today. And No, and the, the couple of times that I've been there, I've, I've felt the same thing. And 
you know, I know that that was a huge concern coming in for various reasons, but I mean, if we're just, we can only take it for face value against your own team. And we all think the defense has a, you know, pretty good defensive line front seven. And if we're just comparing it to what we saw last year in camp, we can't compare the season because we don't know what the season holds. But if you just compare it, Camp they, got, camp they got their ass kicked last year in practice. The offense didn't do anything all year, and then it, you know, looking back or all camp and looking back on the season, you kind of laugh. Go, yeah, I saw this all August, so no one should really be surprised. We've gone right. one thousand twenty seven hundred quarters or whatever it was without scoring <laughs> a point. So, but this year has been. I mean, you've been there every day. I was there a couple of times. We've had the scrimmages. The defense has won some days handily. The offense has won some days handily. And then there's been other days where, you know, it's it's been fairly even. So I know the one day I was there, I thought it was fairly even uh, out at higher ground. So, I mean, that to me is, is a good sign. You don't want to see it one way or the other too heavily because that either tells you your one unit is terrible and maybe gives you false impressions of your other unit so yeah see them kind of trade punches the whole camp i mean we kept sitting there last year going oh it's just the first week you know the defense is always ahead of the offense and then all of a sudden three weeks later we're like oh maybe it's not the defense just being ahead of the offense maybe this offense stinks well i think last yeah. year the thing that stood out for me the most was they would do red zone drills and you know i don't most of you haven't been to a practice. They'll start at the 20. They'll do a series starting at the 20. Then they'll move up. They'll do one starting at the 15. Then they'll do a series starting at the 10 or the 12 or whatever. And then they'll do one starting at the 5. And then they'll do one at the goal line. Last year, they would be lucky to score a touchdown in any of those situations. And this year, I mean, with regularity, the offense is putting the ball in the end zone in goal line situations in practice, which – I can't remember how many times last time I, I last year I just looked at people around me like they can't score, and and I don't have that gaping fear that I had at this time last year in that. No, I think I mean if we're just using one player as an example, I think Mike Warren's had more long runs on his own in this camp than all the running backs had <laughs> Probably, combined yeah. last year. You know, and Probably. and I think I forget what the stat ended up being in the season. They had like three carries of twenty five yards or longer the whole year. So, I mean, to me, that's the 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 highlight. I think of all of camp, no matter what we've talked about, what you've reported, is that the offensive line is probably you know, I wouldn't say far exceeded, but exceeded yeah. pretty substantially kind of what we had thought it might look it, like. Yeah, And like I said, especially finding out that your right tackle was gone days before camp started. Right. I mean, on a, a group that we were already having questions about, and then your starting right tackle is gone, and now you're thinking, oh boy, and uh, and I think they've held up. Now, is you know well let, let's just get into the second half of this podcast yep. um what we always do on this podcast uh we'll take we'll talk about camp as we did i thought uh, phenomenal to have dan Hoare join us and and add to that conversation second half of this preview podcast we talk about the schedule um so let's start austin peace stinks awful probably <laughs> i'm not lying when i say this all divisions in college football, they're one of the five worst teams in the country. They, I don't think they won a game last year, and I don't think any of them were close. Um, They've lost they have what, a couple 43 guys, to 44? Uh, a lot. I think they're one for their last 45, something like yeah. that. 40, one in 40, 45. Yeah. Or, yeah. Something terrible. Bad, they're bad. They're, Let, they're real bad. Tennessee Martin was bad, and it was... It was seven to six Tennessee Martin in the third quarter last year. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking I'm for improvement on that. that. I'm not seeing that. 
in a week. <laughs> um, together I real bad. Not. So I'm expecting to see a lot of Mike Warren, Jarrell White, R.J. Potts, Jake Sopko. Those I don't guys. know about... I don't know about Potts. Potts has been a little bit dinged up this week. He might be uh, delayed a week or two into the regular oh, okay. season. Um, but uh, I can also say that there's a good chance we're going to see quite a bit of Mike Warren. Um, oh, yeah. I think we're going to see a good bit of Mike Warren no matter who they were playing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Austin Peay stinks. Michigan. Michigan is very interesting to me, Dave. They, they, they are very talented. They have a very good head coach. They also are replacing what nineteen starters from last year. A lot. And um, but, they are I replacing think, ten of eleven on defense. I'm trying to think. I know I did some research and we never got to the Michigan preview. We were trying to get some help from a from our twenty four seven site, but I'm trying to remember. I know that their leading returning receiver had five catches last year. Yeah. And I believe they graduated their top six defensive back. Four out of their five starting offensive linemen, and I want to say six out of their seven uh, starting defensive front. Now, Rashawn Gary's back. He's awesome. Um, Ben Bresden's back on offensive line. He's very, very good. Um, The the interesting part, and I I don't think UC will go in there and beat them um, regardless of you know, the new players that they're that they have. Yeah, but the interesting part is that UC plays Thursday at home against the Michigan crap plays team. against a terrible team. Michigan plays Saturday afternoon in Texas against Florida. Yeah. So what does that game do to do they get off to a slow start the next week? I know it's at home and it's the home opener, so you'd think they'd have plenty of of juice, but if, what if they lose to Florida, or you know, what if they get a bunch of injuries or play poor? I mean, it's just a weird. You usually don't have a dynamic like that where your second game you're playing someone who's playing a huge, huge opening week game, and you're basically having a glorified scrimmage, right? So. It's just going to be interesting to me to see how that Florida game goes, Um, you know, how all these new pieces come together because they're still, I mean, they're still, not like they're replacing these guys with walk-ons. Right. No, they're They're talented. They're just rolling in the next four or five-star recruit who just hasn't had a chance to play because the guy in front of him just went to the NFL. Right. So I'm not, I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to, sell them short by any stretch of the imagination, but no, I just think you. the way that the, the way that the game schedule has set up is going to be interesting to see how, if UC can maybe capitalize on that type of a situation. No, I agree, and that's, that's going to be, if they've got a chance to win, that's going to be it. They're going to have to capitalize on Michigan being in a little bit of a tough situation early in the season, and, you know, who knows? That's why they play the games. I think we both agree that I would have Michigan as a pretty heavy favorite. You would have Michigan as a pretty heavy heavy favorite. But there are some some things that you look at in that game that you say, you never know what's going to happen here, um, especially with a young team that doesn't have a lot of experience coming off of a game where they're emotionally jacked up. Personally, I'd love to see them win that Florida game. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a chance for a letdown because they're not looking at since, you know, they're looking at a 4-8 and eight team from the AAC. Right. season ago. Now, I do think there's uh, it, the way Jim Harbaugh operates, they're going to be playing Ohio State because they're playing Luke Fickle. Like, oh, no doubt about it. Home, and just the, the home opener aspect, no matter if they win or lose, he's gonna, it's going to be pumped yeah. up just for, for that standpoint. But, you know. So then we go to Oxford for our wonderful yearly trip. <laughs> and uh, what do you think? What is your thoughts on that? Um, you know, it's interesting. I had a, a conversation with a member of the media today who uh, is a is a MUU alumni, and uh, he said he gets the sense that there's maybe even a little bit of arrogance up there 
thinking that they're going to be like the darlings, you know, the small school darlings of college football this year based on the how last season ended. And I think that's going to be interesting because they got Marshall to open and then they play Austin P that second week. Um, they could be feeling like, you know, a little overconfident and thinking that, this is we're going to beat Cincinnati this year. We should have got them last year. We've got them at home. It, 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 I think that's going to be an interesting game. Uh, one thing I I, I have uh, immense respect for Chuck Martin as a head coach. I think he's very good. Um, I think he has shown the way that he's been able to turn that program around. That he's got the chops to be a very good, you know, high level Division One college football coach. That if they have a really good year like they're thinking they're going to have, that phone is going to be ringing for him. Um, but until the Bearcats lose to Miami, I'm, I'm picking Cincinnati. You know? Yeah. You want to know my thoughts on it? What? If you didn't beat us the last four years, you sure as hell ain't going to beat us this year. Well, and I think to, to an extent that's fair. But up until last year, as bad as the situation UC was in, it was a hell of a lot worse at Miami because two years ago at Miami, that was literally the worst offense I've ever seen in college. <laughs> That's true. When they get by the 50-yard line once in the second half or something. Well, they accidentally walked past it when they were coming off the sideline one time. Um, <laughs> they, they, they went out of their way to, to cross it just to see what it felt like. And then there was one other time they were close. Like, literally – that in in my 39 years, that was the worst offense I've ever seen in college football. Oh, it was really bad. One college football. I, I mean, just that look was, at. No, I, I I agree, but I'm I'm also just pointing out that it's not like things have been very peachy there uh, over the last no. eight and a half years. They no, were over six last year to start the season. Like that exactly, and that's like yes, they, everyone was like, oh, they're the first team ever to go. 0-6 to a bowl game, and I'm like, okay, great. So you, they went 0 6. you lost six games, and then you beat six MAC teams. Like, okay, that's, that's better than losing six more games and going 0-12 like they did, whatever, 1-11, 0-12 the year before. But, like, just thinking back to last year's game that was close, they had no business really being close. And the game right. when Miami couldn't cross the 50 – and we're we're I mean we're just fumbling four quarterback center slash quarterback running back exchanges in the second half is the only reason UC didn't win. Those right. type of things I just I'm not like I know he hasn't coached a game and they could be terrible who knows but like those type of things I just don't see this staff happening like I, we didn't see a lot of carelessness uh, in the practices that we attended. And I just find it hard to believe that this team, with the way that things have gone, and if they lose to Michigan and they need, you know, going on the road two weeks, and like they're not losing, like they're not losing. I'm sorry. So maybe that's just me being an ass and wanting to just not play Miami. Period. But <laughs> but I just <laughs> I don't see how it happens. Like I agree. I agree. Um, maybe the, maybe the biggest game of the season comes the following week at Navy. Um, Navy was incredibly good last year. They are replacing their starting quarterback. They also are a team that's going to be very inexperienced. Yes, the triple option is incredibly hard to defend, especially at the college level. Um, I, I think this is the swing game on the schedule, Dave, because the back half of the schedule sets up for success for Cincinnati. I think if they it does. can get and if they can get through Navy three and one with only a loss at Michigan, your view on the season changes a little bit, does it not? For sure. And you, you brought up one point that I was going to bring up is, in a, and I know that the triple option always like Navy's just always been good. Like, every year they go, right. and someone's, oh, this guy's gone, and blah, 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 and then they, they, they're just good. They're not great. They're never terrible. So but replacing Keenan Reynolds, to me, is, is huge. The guy that is replacing him 
has shown no reason for anyone to believe that he is as good as Keenan Reynolds was, and their defense last year was trash. So it's a game that UC could, you know, like you said, a swing game. It's a toss-up that could be in. But this kind of, unfortunately, I have to see them be a team worth, you know, much on the road for me to really buy in that that's something that they're going to start doing now because it's granted the coaching staff has changed, but it's a lot of the same players who have virtually had no success on the road in their yeah, careers. I agree. I would love to say that the Navy defense is pretty bad, to, Dave. It is. It, that's why I'm saying like it could happen, but I just need to see it. So in being winning at Miami, isn't going to count for me. So while I think it's a toss-up game and due to the the quarterback situation and the defense, I'm still going to lean towards Navy just because of being on the road and having to go up against the triple option in your third road game in a row. I think that probably takes a little toll on on the team as well. I, I think I would be more concerned about that aspect than pretty much just about anything else is, Knowing that you've you've got those three road games in a row, you end it with Navy. Um, that's going to be a tough one. It, it, it's going to be very difficult for them to pull out, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they do. I, I just no. I, I I think there's some things working in their favor in that game that at least give them a chance. Um, I mean, but that's that's why they play the games, right? Right. What's next? Marshall, your own uh, mother. Yes, the Thundering Herd, which I don't know a ton about this year. I'm not going to lie. I, they were they, they were, were okay last. I mean, Doc Holliday's a good coach. They, they it's a very solid program. I just think if, it, if UC doesn't have issues with the third row game in a row, and there's not some crazy injuries or something, I think that's a game that they should probably win. win fairly comfortably. Yeah. I, I just don't know a ton about them this year. I, I know I went there, so I should know more, but uh, I've been at training camp for 24 of the last 28 days. So <laughs> my focus has been elsewhere. The, another yeah. interesting one, Central Florida at home. They saw drastic improvement last year under Scott Frost. That's going to be a very tough game. It is, and I, and I think this is a game where we'll see if the changes on defense to having Perry Young and Terrell Gilbert at linebacker, if that this is the first game, I think, where we see if that truly works the way they envision it because they've got some – they've got the, the prototypical AAC – running back slash slot guys that you just get the ball to real fast and let them run. Um, I think what they did last year has maybe inflated yeah, uh, I agree. expectations for them a little bit this year, uh, but they still have, and I'm drawing a blank on his first name, but his last name, Griffin, uh, defensive player of the league returning uh, very good defensive back slash linebacker. Mackenzie Milton, quarterback, played very well last year as, I want to say, a true freshman or registered freshman. They've got pretty much all of their wide receiver, tight ends, running backs back. So I think this will be a tough game. This is, It's also a swing game. I mean, I know you see typically, no matter what, has played fairly well at home, but this is one that I'm – I'm not real sure I can pencil in as a win just based off of the talent that that each team is bringing into the game. Yeah, that that's definitely uh, it's definitely going to be a, a very interesting battle. And then uh, SMU comes in. Uh, let, let's talk first. Mention that you see very fortunate not playing Houston, Memphis, or Tulsa in the West. Uh, yeah, uh, that. They uh, they lucked out in that regard because those probably would have been three L's. Yeah, or, or at, at worst case, three very very difficult 
games that if you went two and one, it would have been a shock, and if you if you go one and two, it would have been very difficult to accomplish. So you yeah. get SMU instead. Um, that works very well for the Bearcats, I would think. I, I would hope at home they are able to take care of SMU. This is this one I think is closer than I think SMU is going to take a jump this year. I like what they have a quarterback. Um, I think his name's Cortland Sutton. Huge wide receiver. Awesome, awesome player. Is going to be. He kind of reminds me of those. Um, there's two guys Tulsa had at UC two years ago that were yeah. just pretty much, I mean, huge, couldn't cover them. Um, this one, it's very tough for me because I think, I think this is the year that Chad Morris finally has the pieces in place for him to do what he needs to do to then get out of Dallas. Um, so, this is a straight toss-up game to me just because of, of those reasons. And, you know, I, I think this is the game that sets them up. Like we talked about the Navy game early. I think this is a game that they're probably going to really need to win. So and I'm, I'm very down the middle on it. So I'm thinking it could go either way. At USF after that, um, <laughs> Obviously, USF is going hey, to be a heavy favorite, it, but it can't be as bad as last year or two years ago. I would hope not. It can't. I wanted, so I mean, I wanted to gouge my eyes out three minutes into the game. Can't be as bad as two years ago. So we'll just leave it at that. But I, I mean, they're the prohibitive Eastern Division favorites. Um, I think them somewhat like. UCF, people talking undefeated. I mean, their schedule is a joke. They play no one out of conference. Um, but I'm I'm going to be interested because I did some in doing a little bit of research in the Charlie Strong and his always, offensive coordinators. Sterling he always Gilbert. drops one head scratcher every well, year. Well, that he's been and a head coach. so so Quentin Flowers. Unbelievable player, quarterback for USF, rushed for roughly 1,600 yards last year. Sterling Gilbert has been an offensive coordinator for like five years at Tulsa, I think, and then at Texas with Charlie Storm. I believe the most yards rushing by any quarterback he's ever coached was 160 in a season. That's not 1,600. It's not. So... I'm I'm willing to see like are they are they going to run the same offense that Willie Taggart finally realized he had to run with it with that group three years in or are they going to run what they've run because if they run what they've run then you're totally derailing who Clinton Clinton Flowers is and are they just going to all of a sudden run an offense that they don't have that they've never ran before so that's what I mean that's going to be interesting I don't know if it really plays a part in this game, but I think the USF season as a whole will be interesting to see how they use this talent, the offensive talent that they have. Well, and unfortunately, that game's at the end of October. They hopefully would have it figured out by then. If you they, got, I think if you, you got them think, early, yeah. But if they but if they have it, and then maybe what if they've dropped a couple or something weird yeah. happened? I could so that. you know, it's just. It's interesting. I'm interested to see how they're beginning. They actually play like this weekend, so against San Jose State, I think. Moving on to Tulane Saturday at Tulane on the road in New Orleans. I think that's going to be a tough one. I don't know anything about them other than Willie Fritz is their coach. He's tough as shit. They're going to run the ball, and. They're probably better than they were the last couple of years, but we didn't play them, so it's tough to say what that means. All right, we'll we'll, we'll <laughs> go with that one as a bit of an unknown. But I think Temp- I think you I think you see a win that game. Temple. Uh, here's my thing on Temple. How good can their returning roster be if Matt Rule left for Baylor? Well, we know I mean, that the guy, they won't have. I had to know something, right? We know they won't have Philip Wheeler at quarterback. Yeah. Um, 
and we know that it seems it seems like eventually they you know they can't keep turning these like two star guys that no one's ever heard of into really really good play. I think Matt Rule is an outstanding football coach. I agree. So, you know, just in the time that they've been in the conference, uh, you know, whenever it's UC week for them, I try to, like, you know, get a sense of what's going on. The guy is just impressive. And I just don't – I don't see how they – I think them and UC are the ones kind of jockeying for that third, fourth spot in the East. I think think USF and UCF are the the one, too. And then I just think it's it's kind of real close between those two teams. So because it's at home, I, I, w- I would lean a little bit towards UC in that game. You end the season at East Carolina, then UConn at home. You have to go two and zero there, right? I, th- I think so. I think I think East Carolina is kind of a mess. They brought in a bunch of either JUCOs or transfer guys, especially on defense. Quite a um, I noticed. Gardner Minshew beat out Thomas Sirk, who tore his ACL two years ago and transferred from Duke as their quarterback. Zay Jones is gone, who I think had a thousand catches last year. Um, James Summers, starting running back, he's also gone. Robert Prunty is their defensive line coach, so we know they won't really defensive pressure UC's defensive offense. coordinator, isn't he? Oh, I thought he was just the line coach. I think he might be at least co-defensive coordinator. I don't know. Well, either way, we know that they're not going to pressure the offense, probably. Um, and Andrew Gantz will make like three or four field goals and probably to win the game. So that's what Nobody that one is. That kid. Nobody hates Andrew Gantz like the people in uh, middle of nowhere Carolina hate Andrew Gantz. That's, that's right. And UConn. So then you, UConn, probably not very good. They, Randy Etzel 2.0. He does have a really interesting coaching staff uh, that he put together that would give them, I think, some promise in the next couple years, but I don't really think it'll be for this year. Um, they brought in Rhett Lashley, who was Auburn's offensive coordinator, which Auburn's offensive coordinator going to Storrs, Connecticut just seems like the weirdest fit ever, but I understand it from his point of view because he wanted to get out of Gus Melzon's shadow. He got his older line coach back. Yeah, and then J.B. Grimes goes there too, which is, you know, another person that when you talk to J.B. and you're around J.B., I I can't imagine what he does other than coach. I mean, like, what does he do up there? He's got to be going crazy. Well, we but, already found out last year he doesn't fish, he doesn't golf, he doesn't do anything. He just goes no. to football. That's what he told us. Just goes to football. So I guess he, he can do that anywhere. Uh, and then they brought in Villanova's defensive coordinator, who they had a very good defense at the FBS or F whatever it is, FCS level. Very aggressive, very attacking. So, but they but see the thing with that is is then they probably had the best players again with the teams that they were playing. So it's yeah. easy to do that. He's not going to have the best players now. So do, can you still have that mentality that, that John Tenuta blitz on every down, no matter what fourth down against Notre Dame, Hail Mary, we still blitz and get beat because of it at Virginia mentality. Blitz the quarterback. No, I'm nuts. <laughs> so I think, I think the schedule, like like we kind of talked about, if there's a couple. For me, it's kind of Navy and SMU because I think the back four are all winnable after the USF yeah. game. Three of them are at home, or two, two at home and two on the road. But they're you know they're rotating weeks, and I would say Temple's probably the best of those four, and you get them at home, so. I think they can take those four, you know, but the other, those other two games can probably determine whether they're five and seven to all the way to maybe eight and four. I kind of have them six and six, seven and five, but 
that record is probably not indicative to what the product is because, I mean, they went 4-8 and eight last year, and I honestly forgot what the four wins were because I thought they, because of the way they looked, I thought they the, lost all of them. <laughs> I, I, thought that, I mean, I, I did. I was like, I was thinking the other day, I was like, who did we beat last year other than tennis, Tennessee, Tennessee whoever, and Miami? Yeah. I, I was like, I mean, you so I think who just, else? they beat, uh, I don't know, ECU and, see, I can't even remember. That's <laughs> how unmemorable. UConn? No, remember they lost that UConn? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, but that just tells you how unmemorable the 2016 season was when two people who follow the team as closely as anybody else can't remember who their four wins were against. <laughs> oh, Purdue. Heck oh, yeah, those Purdue. guys. Well, they, yeah, the they're, only they're game terrible. they looked good all year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so, it was 31-19. to 19. I guess they looked okay in that one. So, while I think 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five, obviously better than 4-8, and eight, it can also it's also the optics of six and six, seven and five. Right. If you go to Mich- Michigan and you're in it in the second half or in it in the fourth quarter, if you go to the USF and you're in it in the second, USF undefeated or something, and you give them a game till the end, that to me is is as much of um, shows you where the program has just come in the in the last year and where it could be going as. You know, great. We beat a bunch of teams that aren't very good. Like, you know, that those those games mean more to me in the grand scheme of things. I agree. I'm gonna go seven and five. I think they go seven and five. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's fair. Uh, I made a joke at my own expense today on Twitter for those that are new. In 2015, I said the Bearcats were going to go undefeated. Yeah, that didn't go And they went 7-6 and six and got their doors blown off in the uh, Hawaii Bowl. And then last year, I said, I'm not going to predict a record. I'm just going to say they're going to be better. And they were not better. So, just going right down the middle this year, 6-6, six and six, maybe 7-5. and five. All right, that's fair. That's fair. I'll uh, I'll give you that. We uh, I won't laugh at you too bad for that twelve and zero when they went seven. Oh, I mean I'll laugh at like myself for that one, but I three mean, and nine. <laughs> but, but just the craziest part of getting knocked should get off track too much. But said they go twelve and zero, and the best game they played all year was they pretty much handed it to Miami, Florida. <laughs> Any year that they went seven and six. It was funny. I actually um, I was talking to. Uh, a, uh, a player today, a senior today, before practice, and and that my we were talking about bad coaches, and that Miami game came up because Al Golden's name came up, and he mm-hmm. said the funniest thing about that game is they were so vanilla, they were so predictable that we knew every play, so they would make the play call, and then you would hear us all just yelling back like what they were going to do, and he said the guys on Miami's offense were just looking across the line of scrimmage going. What the f- is going on? And well, Alex Pace was a first-team All-American defensive lineman in that game. I mean, they knew every play. They knew exactly, exactly. What was, every play. Uh, it's always funny for me to get a little bit of that, you know, just hear, talking to the guys about certain stuff that comes up, and, and that was one that had come up, and I, I thought that was funny that they, they said they that if you think Tommy Tuberville was bad, Al Golden was so bad that they were able to decipher every Miami play before the snap. That's not good. Yep. That's not no, good. it's not. That's going to wrap it up, Dave. It's uh, It's been a great preseason. We are eight days, less than eight days now, from the kickoff of the season. I want to give a very special thanks to Dan Horde, the voice of the Bearcats, for coming on the BCJ podcast and joining us. Uh, always some good stuff. I've I wanted to get maybe a little bit more on the, on the preseason with him, but I, I just love his story and, and how he ended up here and you know working with, with Tariko and, and all those guys that he did at Syracuse. I, that just had to have been just a, a surreal deal. I mean, that's 
for those that know me, broadcasting was my career path. That's uh, to, to think that you were in the same place, all of those guys in the same place at the same time. It's just hard to, to get your brain around sometimes. So I, I had to go in that direction a little bit to talk about that. No, I think it was great. I, I just That's fascinating to me that all those guys were there just pushing each other at like 18, 19, 20 years old, like – we're going to get in this business and, and dominate it for the next two decades. And they have. And that, to me, that's just a, it's a wild deal, but all right, that wraps up the season preview. We will be back next week, I guess uh, maybe next Tuesday or so. And we'll, uh, we'll give you somewhat of a, it might be a short podcast, Dave, next week. Yeah. Just Austin P. I don't know how much we're going to be able to talk about that. Maybe we'll have Shane on to, to talk a little recruiting or have uh, have Berg on to talk some basketball or something to mix it up and add a little bit of time to that podcast because the Austin P podcast might be 12 minutes. We can talk about the Bearcats, what we, we expect to see yeah. from them. And... Well, well, we'll figure something out. But we'll, we're back into weekly mode now. Uh, every week we will have a podcast for you. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Again, special thank you to Dan Horde. Thanks to my partner, Dave Simone. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.